during this Lenten season, we're looking at Jesus' farewell message to his disciples, the Gospel of John, chapters 13 through 17. As I mentioned last week, this entire scene takes place in the upper room on the same evening as the Last Supper. Most, if not all, of what John tells us about that evening took place after Jesus had called the bread his body and the wine his blood, what we know of as the Lord's Supper. Most of what John tells us about that supper does not appear in any of the other three Gospels, but it seems that in addition to instituting the sacrament of Holy Communion that night, Jesus also had a lot that he wanted to teach his disciples in that upper room before they went out to the garden where he would be arrested, leading to his trial and ultimately his crucifixion the next day. Before any of that happened, Jesus wanted to remind his disciples one last time of what he had been teaching them for some time about the way of sacrifice and the perfect sacrifice that he was about to make, about the way of life and the life that is found only in him. The teaching began with the foot washing. We heard about that part from chapter 13 last week. Also in chapter 13, Jesus predicted that Judas would betray him, and then Judas went off to do what he was going to do. Also in chapter 13, Peter insisted that he would remain true to Jesus even unto death. But Jesus said Peter would deny him three times that very night. Chapter 14 starts off on a much gentler note. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. This gets us into the discourse part of the evening. For the next several chapters, Jesus will be giving kind of a speech. There are a few interruptions here and there, like Thomas and Philip's questions in today's reading, but for the most part, Jesus does all the talking. The speech that Jesus gave that night began with those comforting words that we hear read so often at funeral services. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. In the church-wide study that our classes and our small groups are using this week, Francis Chan makes this provocative statement. He says, if you have anxiety, it's because you don't believe. I don't like it when he says that. I want to push back against that. I want to say he's wrong about that because I do have anxiety and I do believe. At least, I want to believe that I believe. The point that Chan is making, though, is that for the Christian, there is a deep and profound peace within us that transcends whatever we may be going through at the moment. I like what he says next in the video, which is, we think our hearts are troubled because this is happening, and if, if that would change, or this is happening, if that would get fixed, then we would have peace. 
I know that's often the case with me. I'm forever focusing on what is not going right at the moment, what more needs to happen, what I have to get done, what I think needs to change, what I'm worried won't get taken care of. I try and get all of those things into place, thinking that once I get it all under my control, then I'll have some peace. Jesus' teaching, and really the Bible's teaching as a whole, flies in the face of that way of thinking. Go back to our other reading for today, Psalm 27, verse 3. Though an army beseech me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. If the psalmist can have peace of heart and confidence of mind, even in the face of imminent attack and war, maybe I don't have to get everything entirely straightened out and under my control before I can have that sense of assurance that Jesus talks about. Maybe I can have that simply by knowing the one who is in control. Maybe that's what Jesus means by believe in God, believe also in me. This isn't just about knowing in our minds who Jesus is, understanding on some intellectual level that God is in control. This is about having a deep and abiding trust in God, a faith that runs so deep that you can abide in Christ even when nothing around you is as you want it to be. Trusting Christ implicitly, no matter what, with everything. A lot of Bible translations, instead of saying, believe in God, believe also in me, they say, trust in God, trust also in me. That's what Jesus was talking about, the kind of belief that gets into the core of our being, that, that kind of faith that affects who we are. It's a trust that allows us to depend entirely on God. Jesus wanted his disciples to have that kind of trust in him. They were going to need it. They were going to need it because they were about to see some things. They were about to see some things that would test the faith of even the strongest believer. Later that same night, they would see Jesus arrested and hauled away. They would see Jesus struck in the face and spat upon. They would see Jesus whipped and flogged and mocked and derided. They would see him crucified. And they would see Jesus die. He needed them to know through it all that he was still in control. When it came time to witness what was happening to, to, to him, he, he wanted them to remember his words that this was all for a purpose. He wanted them to understand that what he was going through, it wasn't an accident. It wasn't a tragedy. It wasn't a defeat. It was for their good. It was for them. It, it was for life and faith and salvation. That was the reason he wasn't fighting back, not because he had been defeated, but because he was triumphant. 
Jesus wanted them to know that even through all of that confusion and terror, he was still in control. Still, they could trust in him. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. Let not your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. I am going to prepare a place for you. I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus was about to be taken away from them. He would be taken away by the guards in the garden. He would be taken out of this world on the cross. But this wasn't by accident. And no matter what it looked like at the time, it wasn't a tragedy either. He was going someplace wonderful, amazing. He was going to paradise. And he was going there so that we could go there. Jesus was going ahead of his disciples in death to prepare a place of life for them. And when it came time for them to die, they would not go through it alone. He would come and take them to that place of perfection and eternal life that he had prepared for them, for us, for all who believe and trust in him to take them there. It's clear to us today that that's what Jesus was talking about. That's why we read this passage at funerals, because it contains that beautiful promise of Christ that he has a place in eternity prepared for each one of us, and that he personally will escort us into that unimaginably wonderful heaven that awaits. It's obvious that that's what he meant. It was not obvious to his disciples at the time. It was not clear to them at all that that's what Jesus was talking about. They had no idea what he meant when he said it. Thomas was the one who was bold enough to confess it. When Jesus said, you know the way to the place where I'm going, Thomas said, nuh-uh. I'm paraphrasing a little. What he said was, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? At least he was honest. And the question makes sense. If you don't know where you're headed, you can't possibly know how to get there. I'm so thankful for smartphones with GPS. I, I know I mentioned several weeks ago how resistant I was to getting a cell phone initially. Once I did, I was happy that I had one, but not too long after that, smartphones were introduced. And I thought, well, what's the point of that? My flip phone does everything I need it to do. I would hate to go back now to the time before my smartphone. It's so nice. Anytime I want to know how to get somewhere, I don't have to ask someone for directions. I don't have to worry about knowing which way north is. I can just enter the address into my phone, and it instantly shows me how to get there. I don't even have to know the exact address. I can just say, give me directions to Skyline Chile, and it'll give me five options. 
I mean, I already know where all the Skyline Chilies are anyway, but you get the point. Just tell it where you want to go. It'll tell you how to get there. But you do need to know where you're going, right? You, you have to enter something meaningful about your destination or it can't tell you a thing. Just for fun this week, I asked my Alexa, I said, hey, Alexa, what is the way to life? She responded, I'm sorry, I don't know that one. <laughs> Guess technology can't save us after all. When Jesus was taken, was talking about being taken away, his disciples didn't understand what he meant, and they had no idea where he would be going. If they didn't know where he was going, how could they know the way? That's when Jesus delivered those familiar words, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's where he was going to the Father, to God, to heaven. And when he said to them, you know the way to where I am going, what he meant was, you know me. If you know me, you know the way. Jesus is the way and the only way to get to our Heavenly Father. But then, then Jesus goes even further than that. After saying, no one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus goes on to say, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. The disciples still had no idea what he was talking about. This time, it was Philip who confessed it. Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. They, they couldn't figure out all this talk about, you know me, you've seen me, I am the way to the Father, you get to the Father through me. Philip says, Let, let's cut out all this coded language and confusing talk, just show us the Father. Show God to us, that's all we want. That's a pretty bold request. When you consider that the only scriptures they knew at the time said that no one can see God and live, even Moses could only hear God's voice. Even Elijah had to turn his back for God to pass by. God is too holy, too mighty, too pure, too transcendent. No one, according to everything they had ever been taught, no one could see God and live. And here is Philip saying, just show us God and that will be enough. That will be enough? That's like saying, just give me all the riches in the world. That's all I'm asking. The boldness of Philip's request is staggering. He's asking to be shown something no one has ever seen, something they don't think anyone ever could see, and he's acting like it's this simple, humble request. Just show God to us. But here's something even more staggering. Jesus, instead of saying, how dare you ask for that, Instead of pointing out that no one can see God and live, Jesus tells Philip that he has already given him exactly what he's asking for before he ever asked for it, before he ever thought to ask for it, before he even imagined that it might be possible, before he had any clue that that is precisely who Jesus is. 
Have I been with you so long, Philip, and you still don't know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. You remember that scene in the first Star Wars movie where Luke says to Ben Kenobi, you know Obi-Wan? And Ben replies, well, of course I know him. He's me. That's kind of what this dialogue between Jesus and Philip is like. Philip says, you can show us God? And Jesus says, I already have. He's me. Not only is Jesus the way to God, Jesus is God. The Father and the Son are one with each other. This was the disciples' first inkling of what we know today as the incarnation. The incarnation. Jesus is God in human flesh. The disciples already believed that Jesus was divine in some sense, in that they believed that he had come from heaven, that he had been sent by God even that he was the Son of God. But what they meant by Son of God is that he was derived from God, that, that the Father is the eternal, self-existent source of all being God, and, and that the Father had created Jesus, just like he created everything else. But when Christ said to Philip, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? He was saying that they are one with each other in a way that goes so far beyond our understanding. They are one in eternity from before creation. Christ was saying that he is literally God. The Gospel of John begins like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word of God that existed before creation, the word of God that spoke creation into existence, the word of God that is God came into the world in the flesh, in Jesus, to reveal God the Father to us. The disciples couldn't grasp that at first. It took the church a few hundred years to, to come to terms with the incarnation. And I think that to some extent, we still haven't quite come to terms with it. In Francis Chan's lesson for this week, he admits that for much of his earlier Christian life, he had this idea of God and Jesus being two separate entities. That, that the Father is God, the almighty, the, the all-powerful, the distant, mysterious, scary, almost threatening God who stays far, far away from us, who we can't approach, who is angry and judgmental, and we need to cower before him and find ways to appease him. While Jesus, on the other hand, is this person like us, who is kind and approachable, who shows love, in contrast to God's wrath, a person of grace and mercy and compassion. But when you finally wrap your mind around the incarnation, when you come to know that Jesus is God, come to us in the flesh, 
then you understand that the grace we see in Jesus, that is the grace of Almighty God. The mercy and compassion of Jesus, that is who God is. The actions we see Jesus take, those are the acts of God. The words that Jesus speaks, those are the very words of God. When we see Jesus, we have seen the Father. When we hear Jesus, we have heard directly from the Father. Christ reveals the Father to us. That's what Jesus means by, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not, not that he is some separate and lesser means through which we need to pass in order to get to this higher reality, which is God but that he is the higher reality. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. There is no other way to the Father because he and the Father are one. You can't have God without Christ because Christ is God. Christ is the one, the only one, who shows us who God truly is. Do you want to see God? Look to Jesus. Do you want to hear from God? Listen to Jesus. Do you want to be in God's presence for eternity? Rest in the arms of Jesus. Trust in him. Let us pray. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for coming to this earth to reveal the Father to us. We thank you that having seen you, having heard you, having known you, we can truly know God. For you have brought us back to the Lord our God. You have shown the Father to us and you have brought us to him. Thank you, Lord, for that incredible mercy that you have upon us to forgive all the wrong we have ever committed, to restore us to that place that we have with you, not because of anything we've done, but because of your incredible love, your love for each one of us. Lord, we lift up our prayers to you in confidence because we know that love, because we have that trust. And we pray, Lord, that we will see your power, your providence, your provision poured out upon all that we have lifted to you, that we will see your miracles at work in this world and that we too can be the answer to somebody's prayer that as you work through each one of us open us lord to your holy spirit working through us for jesus said that we would do even greater things than him and lord it's only because you are working in us thank you lord thank you Continue to bless and to use us 
in Jesus' name. Amen.